not like just taking it on the chin and going like, no, no, it's an extra like 2p a kilo. There's no way I'm getting the flavoring. Just spend the extra 50p. Yeah. Enjoy your raspberry <laughs> flavor. Have like, have like a chocolate milkshake three times a day rather than like off milk. Warm off milk. <laughs> if anyone's tried unflavored whey, it's really, really awful. Are we recording this? Yeah. I just, <laughs> I just started recording a second ago. Just to fill oh, you okay. in, guys, um, Johnny said the lowest hanging fruit for whey, if you're going to be drinking scoops of it every day, is to just get a flavor. Well, back, backdrop to this is we know somebody who um, uh, decided that the, the best way to gain weight was to just drink loads of whey, like four or five shakes a day. I think this is right. Um, he would have 13 scoops a day and a 15 egg omelette before he went to bed. Bear in mind, this guy is quite big and quite strong. So, um, And so, to, to, to cut cost, decided to get the unflavoured whey version. Um, which is like self-harming, essentially, as far as drinking protein shakes goes. I think the hierarchy of bad tasting powders probably goes um, unflavoured whey maybe top four top three number two would be unflavoured casein caseinate not just milk protein but the kind of old school one that doesn't really dissolve it's just kind of like sand at the bottom of your <laughs> scoop of your shaker yeah the odd odd lump that floats to the top oh. that you get in the first mouthful my my just... notes used to stink of that because I, I threw it up all over my, my maths folder when I was in school um <laughs> And then number one has to be unflavored Pepto Pro or BCAAs. I think. Do you agree? I think unflavored, unflavored either leucine or BCAAs is awful. Um, Just if you want to add creatine to that, uh, yeah. So if you, I remember you, I used to drink BCAAs with some added leucine because for the for the protein synthesis, obviously, and then um, added creatine to that. So you'd get the leucine and the BCA foam that used to sit at the top. I didn't flavor it because I watched all the animal pack adverts and stuff and thought I was hardcore. So and Also, artificial sweeteners are just ruin fat loss, don't they? So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, you wouldn't want to ruin fat loss. So you'd get the foam from the BCAs at the top and then you'd think that was over and then you'd just get the sand that was the creatine that the <laughs> I suppose if you're going to have a bunch of bad tasting supplements, you might as well mix them all together and have... Did you ever have super veg from my protein? Which is like garlic and mushroom extract. <laughs> and if you put that with some psyllium husk, leucine, uh, maybe some mm -mm -mm. fish oil. <laughs> and then you you try and make it more palatable by like filling up the whole shaker so it's like a, a litre of water rather than just in a shot. Maybe adding some ice, because that'll uh -huh. make it nice. If, if you make it like a smoothie, if you pretend it's a smoothie, then it, it might not taste like hot garlic. Purple salty <laughs> garlic. <laughs> the, it's the my V diet story. Do you remember? You remember? I remember. Would Would you like to? Uh, <laughs> would you like to so, recount this? So, T Nation a while ago, really. I think they still have it actually on the main site. Something called the Velocity Diet, which was basically four shakes a day. Um, and you had to use, <laughs> I actually got told off on one of their forums because I asked a question about how to do it with my protein supplements and got told that <laughs> if I did it with my protein supplements, it wouldn't work. 
But anyway, so I, I persisted, ignored Chris Shugart and persisted, bought my protein casein because whey wouldn't work. It had to be casein. Um, bought super veg, which tastes like garlic, super, fr- super fruit, which doesn't taste much better. Um, bought some fiber powder, woke up on day one, really motivated, slammed this protein shake that like I used the hot tap rather than the cold tap by accident. So it tasted like warm, lukewarm garlic with a little aftertaste hint of chocolate. I'm dry heaving already just from the memories. And on this diet, you were allowed one solid meal per week. Um, so on my log on T Nation, I think I made it till about midday and then posted, decided to have my solid meal for the week today. <laughs> so I think, I think that day I ate a solid meal in the evening and then the following day I decided to bring next week's solid meal forward to the, to the following evening. Which means no solid meals for the next 15 days. <laughs> <laughs> and I think what happened... At that, on the weekend of the first week, was I just went to McDonald's. I remember seeing your log on day three. It was like, okay, guys, never mind. I'm going to start again properly next week for the V diet. The one person who actually managed to successfully do it was Mark. Mark Hayes. Yeah, but he lost a lot of strength as well. I think he got lean-ish, like sub-15%. Because it is like 1,200 calories a day for a month. So yeah. Of course, yeah. it's going to work quite dramatically. I think you get some peanut butter in like the last shake of the day, so <clears throat> or anybody's complaining about really. It's fine. <laughs> Don't see the problem. It's just one of those things. That if you tried to do it again now, because you know that you don't need to do it. Like I think at the time I was convinced that it was the best way to lose fat, so I had really psyched myself up that it was this was the thing to do. But I just couldn't motivate myself to 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 even attempt it again. Well, because of the special types of protein that you use, um, <laughs> many people gain strength and maybe even five, ten pounds of muscle. Mm. <laughs> but obviously, if you weeks. use any other brand, like you just lose strength and muscle. So, I mean, I, ideally, you would transition from the V diet into high bodybuilder with the Anaconda protocol. Wow! And then you're looking at gaining fifty to sixty pounds of muscle in. And losing several thousand dollars in the process. (laughs) Yeah. Ridiculous. Anyway, um, as you can probably tell, we've both got new microphones, which we're really excited about. Hopefully this is a much more fun listening experience for you. Um, So yeah, welcome to episode 15. We've got a few questions that we uh, posted on the... that have been posted on the Facebook thread, so going to be discussing bench press arch plateaus when lifting um body weight management whether it's good to kind of have diet breaks or or um bulking breaks and uh competition versus off-season eating i can't see any of those questions about the bench press arch i can just see is this on twitter this was on facebook maybe someone either deleted that or is it on the hidden comments could be. A few more. Yeah. Got it. No. No, I can't see no. it. No. <laughs> Never mind. Um, I promise someone asked about it. Uh, yeah, no, I believe you. You just really want to talk about how big your bench press is relative to mine, don't you? What? <laughs> That's it, really. I just pretended someone asked that question. By the way, Johnny, remember that time that I bench pressed more? 
<laughs> Speaking of bench press, do you remember... <laughs> has that happened? I think there is a competition, isn't there, where you bench press more than me? In fairness to you, that was because it was quite a bad competition for you, and I think it was quite a good one for me. Uh, I think, okay. So what what happened was um, I don't think I don't think that invalidates your bench press. <laughs> <laughs> well, what what happened was um, me and Johnny were both at a local competition quite near my house, so I decided uh, between the eighty threes and the ninety threes, I'd done my lifts. Decided to drive Johnny home for a bit until the ninety threes came on after the weigh-in. Um, so we chilled for a bit, had a cup of tea. Johnny starts getting a bit tetchy and uh, says, Yusuf, I really think we should start going back now. I'm like, no, it's fine. Eventually, he was like, look, I'm I'm getting a bit nervous. Can we, can we at least go back so I can warm up? Turned up and it was basically like, Jonathan Watson with his opening <laughs> squat of <laughs> 230 kilos. So... Yeah, I think he did the most rapid warm-up I've ever seen of uh, bar 70, 120, 170, 220, each yep. for one rep. The That weight was as well, um, I think, a regional record. So I was quite nervous. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, so that, yeah, I remember you benching more than me on that day. But you have got a very good bench press. Just the way things go. It's all because. So if you if you want a big bench press, the the thing to do is loads of press ups. Essentially, press ups and chin ups. Not if you even ask kidding. Yourself. There's not. If you ask we've written <laughs> <laughs> called uh, "How I Added 25 Kilos to My Bench Press," <laughs> the Armstrong Pull Up Program. So if there's one thing you're going to take from this podcast, read that article. And um, if you've yeah. Not for the faint of heart, because it is quite an unpleasant program. There's a lot of volume involved, so it's quite time-consuming, but certainly helped, and uh, you can add a bit of size doing that as well. I think the thing to mention about that is that it's it leaves you feeling really sore all of the time. <laughs> From the <laughs> neck the, down, basically. The amount, of, <laughs> the amount of pulling volume. Like I think you do chin-ups five days in a row, and I think there's quite a bit of failure in there from memory. Yeah. Three sets of push-ups, two failure each morning. Um, so, like, if you're not used to, if you typically do, like, five, three, one, or five by five, three times a week, push yeah, pull legs, you're in for a shock. <laughs> so that is probably why it works, I suppose. I think so. Such a change in volume. Um, so yeah, don't don't bother arching on your bench press. Just do Armstrong, and then Things you can lie happen. down flat as a pancake and just bench press 300 kilos. And it's Feet on the bench, bench. Like, like grip, grip. hands close, hands so close they touch each other. <laughs> <laughs> Take it to your neck, back. Oh. <clears throat> well, so bench press arch. Do we do we bench press arch or do we not? Good idea or, or bad idea? So, in context, both me and Johnny train primarily these last two years um, in sort of 12-week cycles, peaking for powerlifting competitions. So the main goal is always going to be to bench press as much as possible with a pause in a competition style. So the goal there is to bench press as much weight as possible rather than necessarily bench pressing to 
um, get a stronger chest and triceps. Obviously, that will still happen, but this is all within the context of powerlifting competition. So the first question you, you need to really ask is, do I need a bench press arch because I'm competing, or am I going to am I bench pressing just to get generally stronger? If that's the case, then you want a moderate arch. And if you are competing, then you want to develop your arch as much as possible so that you can um, bench as much as you can while still hitting the competition criteria. Yeah, I'd agree. <clears throat> um, I think as well with arching while competing, like the goal is ultimately, um, well, it's a few things. One is to reduce the bar path. Um, obviously, the, the, the closer you are to the bar before you begin the movement, then theoretically, the more weight you can move. Um, and then it also allows you to um, push your beat, push your beat back further. Um, and the more arch you have in your in your upper and mid back, the the greater the angle. Um, what am I trying to say here? Your hip is closer to extension when you're lying flat on the bench, um, so you can get your hip into further extension, um, which basically allows you to have more leg drive while your feet are still flat on the floor. Again, this is dependent on the federation. Um, but in the IPF, which is where Yusuf and I both compete, you have to have your feet flat on the floor throughout the whole movement. So arching allows you to move your feet back and still um, obtain some leg drive while keeping your feet flat. <clears throat> that was a terrible explanation. But well, I think you get yeah. the point. Um, I mean, with, with leg drive, that is something that um, just means the ability to... Because the, the bench press is a lot more of a technical movement than I really gave it credit for in the past and uh, it's very much dependent on how much tension you can just develop throughout your whole body and transfer that into into pressing so I'm sure you've heard the analogy of um, you can't fire a cannon from a canoe um, <laughs> suggesting that uh, <laughs> Johnny likes that one um, I think you probably could I bet you could <laughs> you could but you'd, I think you'd capsize in the process yeah, for the record, we're not advising that you try firing a cannon from a canoe. Like, you can. You could probably fire it once with mediocre accuracy, um, but make sure you have your life jacket on. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah the, for goodness sake, put your life jacket on if you're going to fire a cannon from a canoe. Absolutely necessary. So, yeah, when you're bench pressing, the idea is you want a big upper back and a stable one so that you can um, pinch your shoulder blades together, flex your upper back and also by squeezing your glutes and having that, having your feet in a position where you can extend your hips and squeeze your glutes as much as possible, that's going to transfer tension radiating up your lower back, upper back and being able to just press more overall. So that's the, the point of the, uh, the bench press arch. If you're training for general strength, it doesn't mean that you, you don't need to use an arch at all. You can still use one. The only difference would be the amount that your lumbar spine is arched, is, is um, extended with. You still want your upper back to be um, arched both sagittally and, longi and uh, longitudinally. That's not right. I've forgotten the name of the plane. but um, You want a bit of an arch in your upper back and you want to pinch your shoulder blades together. Yep. Yeah. So you yeah. want your shoulder blades back together and also um, try and get your head, your your shoulder blades close to your bum. <laughs> What's currently happening is Yusuf and I are both, un both beginning to realise how difficult it is to verbally explain bench press arching. 
on a podcast. We're, we're both looking at each other on Skype, and we both know exactly what we're trying to say, but then trying to put that into words is quite difficult. Um, we're trying to do all the little sign languages <laughs> and gestures, which we realise we can't see, so it's not very helpful. Like bench press, doing a bench press arch at the minute while having this conversation. No, no, we're not. We're not really. Um, I think the best thing to do is watch our video training vlogs, look at the way that we set up for bench press. If you compete, then follow that. If you don't, then maybe tone down the arch slightly, find a position that you're comfortable with and that you can progress and push through your heels without your bum coming off the bench. Yeah. Um, I think the key thing with if you're bench pressing and not competing is, is shoulder stability, shoulder safety. And if you are not pinching your shoulder blades together, then you tend to be in a, in a fairly loose and unstable position. Um, obviously, that's not to say that it, you are still able to bench press in that position, but long term, as weight increases, um, you want to be in a position where there's minimal movement in other joints and other areas of your body, apart from the bar, the bar moving up and down and it's described in its predefined path. Um, so kind of minimizing other moving parts in a movement, um, bench press particularly, because if something goes wrong, it can be quite drastic, like bar in your face type drastic. But um, you want to be stable. You want your setup to be stable, even if you're not competing. And pinching your shoulder blades and having a, a moderate arch is, is a big part of that. It allows you to um, facilitate force transfer from your legs through your back and onto the bar as well. So, So, yeah, for safety and for comparability as well, as your bench press gets heavier and you start progressing through your training program, you don't want any <clears throat> stray variables to start happening or um, if your setup is such that when the weight gets heavy you have a bad habit of lifting your hips up or your bum comes off the bench, you don't want um, that to start being the driver of your progress. You want to have everything as consistent as possible so that week on week you know whether you've got stronger or not stronger rather than changing the movement and just being better at not bench press rather than what actually you were doing. Yeah, agreed. I think I can add, I think I'm quite rare in this respect, but I think I could probably add 10, 15 kilos just by um, moving my bum off the bench and like bouncing the bar a little bit off my chest. Um, whereas if I do a strict competition setup, um, pause it and keep my bum down, that's the way of keeping it the most comparable. So yeah, consistency with technique as well is important. Even though it's not as strong, because I guess the <coughs> extreme case is that you end up um, doing some kind of contortion where your bum is nowhere near the bench, but you're able to kind of throw yeah. it backwards. Well, um, from a powerlifting point of view, if, if you're not sticking to the rules of the federation, then you're not actually doing a bench press. Yeah. You're doing some, some other kind of press. Flail press. Flail press. <laughs> um, also, final word on bench press arch it is something that's worth experimenting with i think um when i first was learning to bench press i kind of st stuck at 90 kilos for a while and then realized that um after seeing a few videos of setup and stuff i increased it to 105 kilos within three to four weeks so i think what happened there is that there was some latent strength that was then capitalized on by improving technique and ability to capitalize on um, on that new technique. So I suppose that relates very much to uh, another question we got, which is how to overcome a plateau when you're lifting. Before we do that, 
I just want to give some, rather than just watching our bench press and trying to learn from us, whenever very, in, I don't think we've ever done a video that is, this is how to bench press. Um, if you go on um, Super Training on YouTube, Super Training Gym, which is Mark Bell and Jesse Burdick, they have a guy in called Eric Spotto who does a bench press tutorial. Um, and that gives a really comprehensive step-by-step guide of how to set up and then kind of the finer points of bench pressing. Um, Lane Norton as well um, has just done a really good bench press tutorial video on bodybuilding.com. And while his bench press is not, well, at least on a kind of an IPF world standard, isn't great, I think it's always best to learn from people like that. People like Dave Tate and these the, the, the bench pressers in the US who compete in different federations and wear bench suits and who then post videos on T-Nation going, this is how to bench press. While that's still valid, it's maybe not 100% applicable to somebody who's just in the gym trying to bench three plates. Um, so learning from somebody who, firstly, bench presses raw, secondly, has struggled with bench press and doesn't just have T-Rex arms and can rep 180 without even training. Um, and then also somebody who um, is competing in a natural federation and is passing drugs tests consistently. Assuming you're you also fit into those categories, you know, if, if your first name's Jim and last name's Wendler and you want to get a big geared bench press, then that's not the advice you want to follow. But yeah, listen, I'd, I'd probably advise the, the Lane Norton um, video just mainly for those points because um, he's, he's really struggled with it. I think he even had a pec tear and came back from the pec tear and still, I think, came ninth out of 20 with his bench of like 177. So even though it's got... bench press. It's a really good bench press, yeah. He's got long limbs um, and makes up for it by squatting 300 kilos anyway. So, But yeah, plateaus. Yeah, so um, that's it really. Yeah, the first thing, technique. Make sure that there aren't any holes in your technique because uh, usually that's, <coughs> I'd say 90% of cases, a plateau will be down to that. Um, I don't think... You're, you're probably not at your physiological limit for power production um a lot of the time so unless you're unless you've got like a really freaky lift for your body weight and you know you're sort of mechanically limited or or it's like a world standard lift but um apart from that there's going to be technical things that you can mine and improve your lift that way speaking of dave tate he has he discusses so this is presuming presuming we're talking about plateaus in a lift. So trying to squat more and reaching a point where you can't squat more than 140 or 180 or whatever. Um, he describes it as a, weak, uh, a plateau always is, is a result of technique um, or technical, muscular or psychological. So as Yusuf's saying, technique's huge. Um, if you are squatting or, or whatever the movement is, we'll, we'll run with squat because it's easy to go, it's easy to describe. But if you're squatting in an inefficient way, you're going to reach your technical plateau much sooner uh, at a much lower weight than what you're capable of with your given musculature. So worrying about, do I need to add five sets of split squats on my lower, lower body day to increase my like QL function and glute size when you're squatting with a t- really narrow stance your knees are tracking forward, your hips are in the wrong line, and the bar path, the bar path's right over your toes, then that's not the right way to approach that. So te- technique first, 
um, then once your technique is perfect, and obviously that's this kind of elusive thing that really everybody's chasing, but once your technique is good and solid, then start thinking about what are my muscular weaknesses? You know, where is the, where is the bar path slowing? Um, and it's kind of the standard, you know, if it, if it slows, if you're, if you're missing a squat out at the bottom of the hole, if you're missing a squat halfway up or if you're missing lockout, there's different things you can work on. And then after that, there's also a psychological component of like, well, actually 180 looks really scary. And then if 180 looks scary, then 220 looks even worse and 260 looks ridiculous and 300 looks like it shouldn't even be allowed on a bar and that kind of thing. So, but what, what, what squat um, or any, any left plateaus have you overcome yourself? Well, actually, that's, that's quite a good... I like the way that it's split into psychological, muscular and technique. I think uh, one, one thing that I see very commonly with clients and people in general is that they'll get stuck for months or even a year or year plus at say 97.5 kilo bench press or 177 uh, squat or something like that. Um, so the psychological thing is a good factor and uh, the first time Johnny squatted 200 um, I remember we just put on loads of like 5 kilo plates and stuff and the bar did look silly but it didn't look like a a big round number which I think can be more intimidating at times. Um, in terms of plateaus that I've overcome, my squat was always a problem. Uh, I used to squat in uh, sort of converse type shoes and uh, I was always doing a squat morning which is also another common problem where the hips rise before the chest and then you end up kind of um, just using your lower back to finish the lift and as you can imagine once the weight gets beyond a certain level it becomes impossible to really progress unless you just got a freakish lower back. So I always assumed at the time that it was because I had a weak lower back and so I would do lots of hyperextensions and stuff like that and then um, this was in the, the infancy when we were pretty silly. Um, we still are quite silly but not as much. So um, I got some weightlifting shoes. It took me about five weeks to get used to them and I think my squat went down in, in the meantime mainly because I was so used to doing these kind of good morning squats that because the weightlifting shoes force you to um, sit directly into your uh, into your heels with the squat, 